Welcome to Charlotte Center for Mindfulness podcast. I'm Lindsay Bridges, and today's sharing comes from our community drop-in groups for the week of April 1st. This week we explored the idea, the quality of curiosity. There's a group of us who are studying the Unwinding Anxiety app together. Um, We meet once a week, have all downloaded the app or working through it, and meet once a week on a Zoom room um, to explore this. If you are interested in this kind of offering, we will be having more of these opportunities um, um, available and would love to have you join us. But for the meantime, this app is one, even if you're not in the group, I would strongly recommend considering. It's a beautiful app for learning very practical mindfulness-based skills that can really make a difference when working with anxiety or any of our habit trigger loops um, that are not serving our lives. So in this app, one of the first steps is learning to catch that we are getting triggered, um, getting hooked by an anxiety loop, a pattern. Um, um, getting ready to go um, um, do the old habitual thing in response to the anxiety that maybe in the immediate moment does actually offer a little short-term relief, but in the long term is compounding the situation and driving us deeper into an anxiety vortex, um, or as I often say, um, taking us down the rabbit hole. So if we can catch that, that we're, we're getting triggered and hooked into this old habit, there is this beautiful possibility of learning to witness in a different way um, that allows us with time to be able to step back, unhook, and patiently really learn a different, much more freeing and healing possibility of being with any moment, um, regardless of conditions. So a key step to this process is curiosity. Judson Brewer, who is the lead author of the app, he says it this way, inviting curiosity allows us to hack into our brain's natural reward system in a way that actually feels good. I love this observation curiosity feels intrinsically good. So if you think about this for a moment, when has been some time when you were really aware of curiosity coming up for you in your life? And if you can come up with that example, what did it feel like? Like take some time to know that. There's an example that Judson Brewer gives of say you are eating a meal someone else prepared And there's something in it that tastes really good. So instead of kind of like mindlessly eating the meal and you may think, oh, well, that was good, but it's done and and forgotten, you're really curious about what made that flavor? What was that ingredient? And if you consider this example, you might be able to feel how bringing that curiosity to what's in here 
really engages us with the moment, enlivens us in the moment in a way that enriches the experience of eating this meal. So it's kind of easy to see how curiosity feels good in an example that's basically um, an easy situation. But what's hugely important, um, noteworthy, is that that same possibility for good or at least helpful feeling exists right with our difficult moments and challenges. To bring curiosity to what is hard, that's a useful skill. And once we get the hang of it and we learn to make that shift to curiosity, we begin to understand how this shift feels so much better than just going down the usual um, rabbit hole of getting swept up in unhelpful reactivity. So years ago when I was a family practice doctor, I had one woman um, um, give me an enormous teaching on the power of curiosity um, and really the power of a non-judgmental curiosity in bringing about major life change. So in those days, I was working in a rural health clinic up in North Carolina mountains, and I had one one patient um, just about the time that I started um, there, a young woman um, who, when I first met her, was facing deep, deep challenges. She was very overweight. Um, She had limited income with a poor pain, dead-end job. Uh, and she lived with uh, an abusive, unemployed boyfriend. But the one thing she did have that was key was this um, determination coupled with an unusual curiosity to learn and know for herself why things were so hard for her. So when she first came to me, she was really in a lost place, very depressed, lots of crying, really confused about what she was feeling. It came up maybe the first visit or second visit, but very early when we were just getting to to know each other, um, that she had had an experience of sexual abuse as a child. Um, um, And she had never shared that with anyone. So I got her in with one of our clinic therapists, and by her request, I started her on a mild antidepressant. She very quickly stopped seeing the therapist, and she stopped taking the antidepressant. Uh, But she did keep coming to see me. Over three years, I saw her often, sometimes every week, because she said this helped. I often felt a little lost as to what I had to offer her. And every now and then I would try to make another suggestion like, get back in with the therapist. Um, um, What about exercise? What about nutritionist? Um, Because I felt like there was something in my role as MD I was supposed to be doing. Um, And every now and then she listened to a little bit of what I said. She never went back to a therapist. But in general, what she taught me was what she needed me most for was to just listen, 
to witness her process, um, which I did with a sort of awe and wonder as she determinedly, bit by bit by bit, changed her life. By the time I left that clinic three years later, she had long left the boyfriend. She had lost a significant amount of weight. She was back at school at a community college, and she already had a new job in, in her new field. She was only seeing me probably once every other month by that time, um, as she had deeply transformed her life. So when I think back to what I saw her do, some pieces really stand out for me. One of them is what I'm naming here with the curiosity. She had a way of asking really good questions to herself that were incisive, um, but that were in a way that was unusually non-judging. For example, with the boyfriend, she honestly wondered, why do I stay with him? Not in a way that was in any way berating or self-judging, but she honestly wanted to figure out and know, why do I stay with him? There was a, an element of deep self-care in her questioning and wanting to understand and know. And she finally got it. I remember when she came in and was like, ah, I get it. Um, she stayed with him because she was lonely and she was scared to let him go. She was more scared of the loneliness than she was of his abusiveness. And therefore she stayed, she, she stayed in the relationship. She was very understanding for herself of just how scary it was to imagine being without him. I remember I thought the first time she shared with me, oh, I stay with him because I'm lonely. I thought, oh, phew, now she'll finally dump the guy. No, it took her from that first insight, a long time of allowing herself to work through that understanding until she got it in her body that the loneliness was actually less scary than the awfulness of the thought of staying with him longer. Once she got it at that level, she didn't rush herself. She took her time with it. She very compassionate to her process. But once she got it, it was suddenly easy and he was gone. Ultimately, I think because she had such a deep understanding and respect for how hard the changes were she was asking herself to make, a deep respect for how hard this was. She never got stuck in how hard it was. She developed for herself a sort of way of being with herself that was fiercely determined, but also soft and loving. A sort of protective guardian for herself and her own sense of confusion. So curiosity, determination, tenderness. In, when we just pause for a moment and look at the determination and tenderness piece of it, I think it's easier for us to, 
to understand the determination side of that than the tenderness. Uh, I think we're often far less um, comfortable or even comprehending of how to allow a tenderness within our own self for our own challenges. We are so wired to be brutally judging of ourselves that this is a radical turn to a side of self-care for the challenges instead. When I teach the classes, I often hear people say they don't know how to connect with themselves to themselves with kindness. Um, they have a sort of hazy concept of what self-kindness would look like. So if that's true for you, that's a place to pause and consider how do you teach yourself this, this quality of knowing how to be with strong heart with your own being. It might be something as simple as coming up with a phrase that makes sense to you and just saying it to yourself over and over until you walk your way into understanding it. It might be something like, I really care that this hurts. So I am determined to do my best with it, to, be, to do my best to be with this in a way that opens up healing for me. Like if I just offer myself something like that over and over and then determinedly find a way to orient with it, I begin to walk my, myself into understanding a kindness, compassionate care for my own being. The other thing I want to say is that at the time, I didn't really think I had much to do with her change. Mostly, I just sat back and witnessed in awe and wonderment <clears throat> at what she was able to do. What I see now is that actually I did a lot with that. That all and simple witnessing was offering her external mindfulness, was offering her a safe container where she could simply connect to her process at a deeper place. I listened during that three year, during those three years to many, many people, but I didn't have anyone that I can think of make the level of change, the depth of change that I saw her do. So that safe container that I was offering was most useful when it was matched with this inner determination, curiosity, and tenderness that she somehow was ready to give to herself. <clears throat> the lovely thing is that orientation of determination, curiosity, tenderness, even the offering of a safe container, all of these are skills we can learn to offer ourselves. We need the support of others. And we need to learn skills, learn ways for us to be a safe container for ourselves too. This is the heart of mindfulness practice, learning to be a resource of safety for ourselves as we meet the challenges of life and learning just as she did when we need to reach out for support um, in this process. We are not meant to do this work alone. Mindfulness does not mean we are somehow meant to do this work alone. And lastly, 
Learning these skills not only opens the door for deeper healing, these skills feel good. As Justin Brewer points out, it is, it feels better to connect with curiosity than it does to get caught in the reactive whirlwind of contraction, habit loop, rabbit hole, anxiety vortex, whatever you want to call it that learning to shift our orientation feels better. So I want to offer a few questions for contemplation for you in your practice. If you just think about today for you, what kinds of triggers do you know you will meet in this day? What kinds of things are likely to be triggers for you that get you caught in that habit loop, um, that anxiety vortex, or whatever kind of habit loop it is for you? What kind of triggers take you there? Sometimes these can be really small things that we're not even recognizing. Sometimes they're the big stuff that we know very well. But let yourself pause and consider what they are. If you were to pick one that is on the smaller side, therefore safer to practice with, what might that one be? And how can you intentionally set yourself up to explore that trigger whenever it happens with being a safe container for yourself, with shifting to some curiosity and tenderness for meeting this in a different way? What kind of patience and determination is called for in this kind of journey for you? So I want to finish with a poem from Mary Oliver, one of my favorites, called The Journey. One day you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, Though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried, but you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough and a wild night. And the road was full of fallen branches and stones, but little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds. And there was a new voice, which slowly, which, which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Thank you and sending you good wishes for a lovely day.